Well, greetings, brethren. Welcome to another Sabbath service broadcasting here from CGI Burlington. We're happy to have you. Welcome, everybody. Just seeing a few there on the chat. Christine, RJ, JD, Becca, thank you so much for joining us faithfully every week. Welcome, everybody. Just seeing a few there on the chat. everybody. I'm just seeing that we are having a bit of a challenge streaming to our website, but we should be coming through on YouTube. Yes, I believe we are. So I'm just going to type the YouTube URL in the church channel. Hello, good afternoon. Happy Sabbath to all of you. It's a nice and gorgeous and a wonderful, beautiful Sabbath day here in Burlington, Canada, Burlington, 
Ontario. So hopefully, no matter where you live, hope you'll experience the same and nice weather. And welcome to all of you, especially the ones that are, some of you that are very faithful, who've been joining us now for over a year. Thank you for coming. If you're here for the first time, you're also welcome. And hopefully, you will find the service, the Sabbath service, edifying to you. And who would believe it? Who would believe it that we are just six days away before Passover? Six days. And all of you who are joining us on a regular basis, we know we used to read like 100-something days away, 90 days away, 80 days away. It just feels like no one pays attention. And suddenly, we are right here, just six days before the holiday. So the time is, just have not much time just to get ourselves ready physically, mentally, and spiritually. So thank you for joining us again. And now, before we start, we would actually like to open with the opening prayer, and I'll ask Brother Landon just to do that. Dear God, thank you for allowing us to gather here together on your Sabbath day, and thank you for allowing us to partake of your Sabbath day. Please bless the technology today that we can come across smoothly on all accounts, and that you put your message into the speaker. Uh, we pray that you will allow us to come through the world again this upcoming week and come again to your next Sabbath day. But we thank you again for allowing us to partake in this Sabbath day. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Landon. Now, as, as always, this time we'll have a hymn. And this hymn is taken from page 91 and entitled, I am thine, O Lord. Page 91. The words will be projected on the screen.
Wow, what a wonderful hymn. Thank you, Sister Jennifer, for playing this piano for us. Now, this time we have a scripture reading. So, brethren, if you have your Bible handy, just please grab it. The scripture reading will be taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. It will be read to us by Brother Dylan. Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Dylan. Now, as the holy season approaches, you know, there will be way more announcements than, than regularly on a regular Sabbath day. So just please bear with me as we go through some of the announcements, important announcements. Next week, on Wednesday, will be another Bible study with Pastor Agent as he will, as he will go through chapter 6. And listen carefully, right after chapter 6, after this study, please join us live for Q&A as Pastor Agent and Pastor Muli will answer all your questions. So please come prepare with your questions, with your comments, with your observations that you may have, as they will spend some time trying to answer all your questions you may have. Next Friday, as I mentioned at the beginning, Passover at evening, at Friday at 7.45, that's our local Sunset time, is around 7.45 here. So locally, we'll be all gathered at our individual homes, because of all, all the COVID-19 restrictions. But if you choose, you can join broadcast from Medina, Ohio, a Pastor Watson congregation, and he will broadcast live the Passover service at around 7.30 to 7.45, so around this time, so please join them. Now, the Sabbath service, next Sabbath, after the Passover, next week, right after Passover, will be at the same time here, coming from Burlington at 2.30 p.m., so please join us again. That's a regular Sabbath service next week. And then right at the end of the next Sabbath, we'll have the night to be much observed. And the sun's in around 7.45, 46. And that will also be the beginning of the first day of unleavened bread. So for the first day of unleavened bread, March 28th, please join us at our usual time here at 2.30. If you wish to join us for a holiday service, we'll be here at the same time. At 2:30, and the last day of unleavened bread will be on April 3rd, which is a weekly, which is also a weekly Sabbath, and we sometimes we call it a double Sabbath, and will take place at our regular time again at 2:30 p.m. So enjoy your holiday, enjoy your Passover seasons, and take all the time necessary to prepare yourself physically and spiritually. Don't wait till the last moment, to the last second, for this time to catch you off guard. So that will take care of the announcements. Now, this time we'll have an intercessory prayer. I'll ask Pastor Agent to lead the names of, on the list and do the prayer. Thank you so much, uh, Deacon Jan. Thanks, brother. Uh, brethren, we'll just go ahead and pray for these uh, names that are on the list. And when you do submit a prayer request to us, it would be appreciated, brethren, if you send us updates so that we do know how you're doing. So we'll generally pray for a couple of weeks. Um, and if we hear no updates, we'll just wait then for an update 
uh, before we continue uh, on praying on that particular issue, just so that the list does not become unmanageable. Uh, let's go ahead then and pray for those who have asked for prayers. Our Heavenly Father, our great and loving God, uh, we just praise you, Father. You are the Holy One, the mighty and majestic one, the, the, the creator and the architect and designer of this vast, vast universe. And we just thank you, God, for your great plan uh, for mankind uh, through Abraham. We praise you, Father, for our place in this plan. And just thank you so much now for the upcoming holy days. And just pray, Father, that spiritually we would all receive healing from you, from your Holy Spirit, as we faithfully observe these high and holy days and acknowledge the tremendous sacrifice of our Lord and Savior. And at this time, Father, it is through him that we want to appeal to you for those who have requested prayer. And at this time, we're particularly mindful, Father, of our sister Lori and uh, her twin babies. Uh, we thank you for Pat and Lori and for uh, Aaron being strong enough to be released from the hospital and to be home uh, with his parents. And, and we pray, Father, for Caleb, who continues to struggle and then we haven't received yet a, a, an update on his condition, which is somewhat encouraging, but it's also discouraging. Father, we want to hear that he has been released. And so we're, we're coming to you, Father, as he struggles and fights and grows, that you would ensure that he gets all the help and assistance that he needs, that his body would grow stronger, and that both these young boys would ultimately grow into spiritual warriors that fulfill the destiny that you have in mind for them. We're also very mindful, Father, of our sister Davina in Toronto, a faithful sister for decades, a very prayerful sister who is now in need of our prayers. As she struggles, Father, with uh, lymphoma, and we, we just appeal to you, Father, and just thank you for the care that she's receiving. We thank you especially for her faith. And, and with that faith, Father, any trial, uh, can be, that faith can be strengthened and deepened. And that's especially what we're praying for our sister, that this, all of this suffering would work together for her good and, and, and for her spiritual well-being. As well, Father, we pray for her physical healing according to your will. Father, we also have uh, June Deegan from our Kawartha Lakes congregation, who is also battling some uh, unknown illness. It's not been diagnosed properly. And so we are praying, Father, because you are the, the creator and you are her sustainer. And you know that we know that you watch over her, Father. So we're praying, Lord God Almighty, for your, your great uh, mercy to be upon her, your healing mercies to be upon her. And again, we just thank you for her faithful walk with Christ and pray that these experiences would, would strengthen her. We did um, have a prayer request, Father, for this young boy, Owen, who is um, suffering as a result of a, a divorce and separation uh, with his parents, and that is causing him to fall into the hands of people who are not caring for him, Lord. In fact, the opposite, uh, such a tender life uh, connected to the body, and we just pray, Father, that you would have mercy. Uh, nothing escapes your attention, Father. So we lift him up to you, 
and, and ask for your loving kindness and your protection and your angels, Father, to oversee him and that this situation would be resolved in a way uh, that he would be safe and strengthened. And, and ultimately, when he is called, that he would respond to that calling. Almighty God, you're a, a great, great God of mercy. Uh, we know that there is great suffering ahead uh, for this whole world and especially Israel and Judah and even Father for your church. And so again, we just appeal to you as we head now into this Holy Day season that we would all be strengthened, rejuvenated and spiritually healed as we observe these Holy Days in this in these end times. Praise you, Father, and just thank you for again for your loving kindness and your tender mercies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Agent, for this prayer. Now we'll sing a hymn together, and right after this hymn, we'll go to the main message for today, entitled, Let Us Keep the Feast, by Pastor Mori Palmatier. But before we go to the main message, we'll sing a hymn on page 117, Through the Love of God, Our Savior. Please enjoy it. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to services here, as our previous uh, speakers have said. Here in Burlington, it's a beautiful, beautiful day here in southern Ontario. Spring is here, and we certainly welcome you and look forward to being with you this afternoon. Last Sunday was one of my favorite days of the year. Last Saturday evening, while we were sleeping, at least in this part of the world, the clocks moved ahead an hour, and we are now in daylight savings time. 
Now, I'm not here to debate its merits. I've heard debates on both sides, and it, uh, uh, sometimes what we do doesn't make any sense. However, given the reality that we live in, it is certainly one of my favorite days of the year. The first sunset afterwards, Sunday night, when it sets, at least in this part of the world, at 7.30, really is the first sign of spring to me. I find it completely uplifting that after many, many months of darkness, after the supper hour, that it is still light out as late as 7.30. Time for a walk, time to get some air, play some catch, and just enjoy the outdoors just a little longer. But something even more significant took place last Sunday as well. You'll find that in Exodus chapter 12, where I'd like to begin. This is so much more important than what we experienced last Sunday with daylight savings time. Exodus chapter 12 and in verse 1 says, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Now, we know when we get to Exodus chapter 12, we certainly move on from those first two verses and read the rest of the record, beginning with the selection of the lambs on the 10th day, and then we get well into the Passover account. But that is completely impossible without the fulfillment each year of these first two verses. The beauty of late evening walks on longer and warmer days is far outweighed by this most sacred time of year. After six long months since we kept the Feast of Tabernacles, as Deacon Jan mentioned in his opening comments, counting down the days each Sabbath as we do, we arrive to the first month of the new sacred calendar year. And that came with the setting of the sun last Sabbath and the beginning of the first day of this week that we're currently finishing out. This coming week, as you heard in the announcements, we will gather to commemorate and celebrate the events that took place many centuries ago. We know that God set apart holy time in his calendar at creation. We've covered that many, many times. And we've covered the word seasons, as you can find it in Genesis 1, verse 14, and how that refers to the Moed that Leviticus 23 talks about as being the Feast of the Lord. So we know. That holy time was set apart from creation. It wasn't something God dreamt up and gave to, uh, gave, you know, 1500 years into, into man's existence. He created it and instituted it as part of creation. Important events in God's plan have not coincidentally taken place during these times that God has set apart. This coming week, again, as we, as we heard and as you're likely and hopefully busily preparing for, we will gather on Friday evening after sunset to observe the Passover. The next evening, we will gather in to usher in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We do that by observing initially at the start of that, of the the Holy Week, the night to be much observed. These are two very distinct evenings that we partake in, very distinct, obviously connected and related but distinct for a purpose. Why do we gather on both evenings? Over the course of this last year, in addition to doing our very best to provide our local brethren with a weekly worship service during the pandemic, we've had the privilege of serving 
brethren from around the world too, not just here in North America, but in Africa and in Europe, in Australia, quite frankly. And many who are new to the faith, I know because we've chatted. We've chatted either on the phone or electronically, and I know that you're new to the faith. We've also got people among us, young and old, who've been keeping the same days for years and may have gotten a little cloudy as to why. Regardless of where you are in your faith, how whether new or brand new or, or how long you've been keeping these days, it's important to know why we are gathering next Friday evening and next Saturday evening in two distinct evenings and keeping holy time. So regardless of your history and the faith, it is prudent that we are reminded why we are going to be gathering on these two evenings as we prepare to keep the feast of the Lord. That's what I'd like to look at here today as we enter into this last week of preparation before the Passover and the Feast on the Leavened Bread. So let's begin as we as we look into this, and hopefully you'll, you'll see some things that uh, you might not have considered as we review this. Leviticus chapter 23 is where we're going to begin. I mentioned that briefly a few seconds ago as we connected the word seasons in Genesis 1 verse 14, the Hebrew word moed, to this chapter here in the Torah. And we begin in verse 1, where we read, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Again, God gave them to Israel, gave them to his covenant people, but these aren't Jewish feasts. These are celebratory times, holy time that God has instituted from creation. Then after discussing briefly here the, the Seventh-day Sabbath, which you're, 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 you're keeping here with us today, let's drop down to verse 4 and pick the, pick the account back up in verse 4. These are the feasts of the Lord, we read. Holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. So they come along at specific times. They aren't just, we don't just dream up when we keep the Passover, but they come specifically at certain points in every calendar year when God has appointed it. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Period. Stop. Continuing. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. And the seventh day shall be a holy convocation as well. You shall do no customary work on it. So what we see here as we begin are two very distinct festivals. Passover is on the 14th. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread begins on the 15th and runs, we are told, for seven days. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. From the 15th to the 21st, we keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days, following the 14th when we partake of the Passover. Now, before we continue... In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, you can, we won't turn there, but I'll, I'll let you take time to write that down. 
we read that God is not the author of confusion. That Greek word can mean disturbance or discord. So God is not the author of discord, but of peace, which can also mean harmony, as in all the churches of the saints. God is not the author of discord, but of harmony, as in all the churches of the saints, Paul writes to the Corinthian people. The timing of events surrounding the Passover has been the topic of much debate over the years. My goal here today is not to resurrect that debate. We don't have time for that here. And there is only one entity that seeks to insert strife into the lives of God's people during this most holy time of year. If your studies render something different for you personally, you're obligated by Scripture to follow your conscience. As long as you are doing so faithfully, before God. Just do not bring strife into the body at this time of year because of a personal interpretation. What we see here are two distinct festivals. Passover on the 14th and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days beginning on the 15th. Let's go back now to Exodus 12 and look at this account of these two distinct festivals and see what we, see what we can read here. Exodus chapter 12. We'll pick it back up again in verse 1 where we already were. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning, shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregations, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. Each according, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. They began that process on the 10th of the month. Now we know that the symbols were changed by Jesus Christ so that we gather to partake of bread, bread and the wine, picturing the body and the blood of the Savior and Redeemer of the covenant people of God. But let's continue reading here, beginning in verse 5 here, picking it back up in verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you may take it from the sheep or the goats. Now, You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire. Its head with its legs and its entrails you shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt in your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And so shall you eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. It is the Lord's Passover. And God now provides a bit of an explanation here. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. 
I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Period. Pause. Now, in my Bible, the paragraph begins anew in verse 14. But when we read this in context, the discussion of the events of the 14th here on Passover extends up to and includes verse 14, where God concludes by saying, this will be a memorial that you shall keep throughout your generations. And it will be an everlasting ordinance for you to keep. So, again, today we don't follow these particular customs, Christ, we know, changed the, the symbols to include the partaking of bread, unleavened bread, and wine, picturing the body and blood of our Redeemer, the Savior, the Redeemer of the covenant people, Jesus Christ, of which by our baptism, by evidence of our baptism, we have been grafted into those people, the covenant people, which we know Paul tells us in Romans chapter 11. Again, melding all of the the many, many messages that you've heard here over the course of the last year. I'm sure as we as we use these phraseologies in these messages, I, it takes you back to other messages you've heard. But again, that one narrative from front to back in the Holy Scriptures. So as we consider this, to Israel at that time, it pictures their redemption, this, this Passover observance, was to be a memorial to them and pictured their redemption from certain death when the death angel would pass over them. And upon seeing the, the blood on the lintels, God would spare their lives. God would spare their lives. And they, it, this happened on the night of the 14th. It was very clear from Scripture the Passover is the 14th. So on the first month of the year, during the nighttime portion of the 14th, was when the death angel would pass over. And the homes that did not have the blood on the doorposts, their firstborn would die. But here, the covenant people of God, the, the, they had, they were, by extension, the family of Abraham, they would, they would become the covenant people, uh, in a few, in a few months when they accepted the covenant. We read that in Exodus 24. But they here would have their, the lives of their firstborn would be spared. So this again pictures redemption to them. Notice here as we read this account as well, that they prepared a meal that evening of roasted lamb, unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They took time to prepare the meal. We read the instructions, don't eat it raw. I know I'm telling you to eat it quickly, but don't eat it raw. And don't, don't boil it. Don't, don't cook it fast in a, in a boiling pot of water, but roast it properly. And that takes time. That takes time. This night was a vigil for them. And they stayed up through the night, ready for their next next instructions. This was event number one. And it represented their redemption from death. The redemption from death through obedience to God by following his instructions and killing the lamb and on the, the selecting the lamb, a proper lamb without blemish, killing it on the at the proper time, and painting the doorposts and the mantle above the door 
with blood. Let's continue on with event number two. New time frame. We'll pick it up in verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And when we cross-reference that, we already read in Leviticus 23, and God's word has to match up that this time of year, this seven-day feast of unleavened bread begins in the 15th. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the Feast of Eleven Bread for on this, for on this same day. And that's, that's important. We'll get to that in a minute. For on this same day, I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. We'll come back to that. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, so at the end of the 14th, until the 21st day of the month, the end of that day, so seven full days, for seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings, and you shall eat unleavened bread. We heard a little bit about that last week when Pastor Bill Watson spoke to us. So we see a new time frame here, specifically referring to, again, the same time frame that we saw made reference in Leviticus. The end of the 14th, as we read here in verse 18, simply means That when the 15th day begins at sunset to begin this different festival, leaven should be removed completely from their homes. The 14th wasn't a day of unleavened bread. They were to eat unleavened bread during the one meal. There is no reference in scripture to say that the leaven should have been removed from their homes on the 14th. It was unleavened bread was to be eaten with this special meal only. The removal of leaven begins at the end of the 14th, so that when the clock strikes uh, sunset on the 15th and the the sun uh, sets, we can begin seven full days being completely delivered. This is event number two. Why is this a different event? Well, God tells us here through Moses in verse 17. Remember what we read before. Remember that this was to be a, the previous event was to be a, a, an ordinance that was to be kept throughout their generations to remind them that God saw the blood over their doorposts and saved their firstborn from death. That's what that was, that they, they, he struck all the firstborn that were living in this area, except for the, the homes that in obedience to the law painted their mantles. This is different. We read this in verse 17. For on this day, I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, because of that event, because I will have brought your armies out of Egypt, your people out of the land of Egypt, where they had been in captivity for multiple centuries, you shall observe this day as an everlasting ordinance. So clearly here, two different events for two different reasons. To remember 
this, this second festival, this Feast of Love and Bread, beginning on the 15th, to remember that on this day, the 15th, God brought them out of Egypt, not because the death angel passed over them. That was the previous day. But God would bring them out of Egypt. Verse 25 makes it, makes it a little more clear here. It's referring to the Passover now. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you will say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over. And again, I used, you know what, I used the, the, the phrase death angel here. Let me correct that here. The, the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. God makes it very clear that this message of redemption was to be passed down to successive generations so that it is not forgotten. That's the events of the 14th. If you hold your place here, Numbers 33 confirms that same time frame for us. Numbers 33, if you'll turn there with me. Numbers 33, we'll pick it up in verse 1. Numbers 33, verse 1. These are the journeys of the children of Israel, who went out of the land of Egypt by their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journeys at the command of the Lord. And these are their journeys according to their starting points. They departed from Ramses in the first month, on the 15th day of the month of the first month, on the day after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of all the Egyptians. For the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them. Also on their gods, small g, the Lord had executed judgments. Then the children of Israel moved from Ramses and camped at Sukkoth. So here, the same author is confirming that time frame, that it was on the 15th, the day after they kept the Passover, that Israel, the Israelite people left Egypt. So again, two distinct, distinct celebrations here. Let's go back to Exodus 12. After receiving these instructions, we now read the events as they took place. So let's do that now. Verse 29. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. There was not a house where there was not one dead. What what a scene we can imagine. What a scene we can imagine throughout this, this entire region. But as we're reading this, let's ponder what we read earlier. The meal of roasted lamb held inside their homes would have been completed. Remember, it was to have been held inside their homes. They were to stay in their homes until 
the the striking down of the firstborn, it was to have been completely eaten, or whatever was left over was to be burnt. And then they were to wait. And it became pretty obvious, as we read here, when they were safely through the redemption part of the of the night. As they hear the blood curdling screams from their neighbors and from the 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 people that would have been uh their their leaders and the ones who their taskmasters and the 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 various uh Egyptians and the like that that would not have been protected by the blood the blood over the doorposts, the blood curdling screams that you can imagine running throughout Egypt of the many, many dead. And here in our home Safely inside our home with blood-covered ma- uh, uh, doorposts and mantle with the uh, full bellies from the, the roasted lamb, the unleavened bread, and the bitter herbs, we're safe. It became very clear that redemption was part of their story. But this meal would have been over. Remember, they had to burn everything. It was They were to eat it, eat it all or burn what was left. None of it was to be left until morning time. Verse 31, then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, rise, go up from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. Say a prayer for me because clearly your God is stronger than our gods. But just get out. Take your people and get out. I've, I've had enough of all these plagues that have that have hit my people. Take your take your people, take your herds, take your flocks, and leave. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. That their, their neighbors, they could tell, just just get out. You, you're 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 the, you're the reason we are in trouble. For they said we we will all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth. Remember, we read that in Numbers 33 when Moses was looking back. About 600,000 men on foot, besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, and a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. This seems to me to be a different meal. They were no longer in their homes. They were no longer hiding under the blanket of blood-covered lentils. They were in Sukkoth now, having left Ramses while the Egyptians were burying their dead. They baked unleavened bread because their hasty departure meant that the women who baked their bread of sustenance each morning didn't have time to let the dough rise. The previous day, when we went back on the 14th, they slow roasted the lamb. This was a meal that was prepared. Yes, they had unleavened bread with it, but it wasn't unleavened bread then. Because of the haste, it was part of their slow roasted meal of lamb. And we'll know, and we know why. 
with looking back with hindsight, as we have the, the symbols in, uh, that, that Christ instituted at his p- Passover with the, with the disciples, why it was unleavened. And we also have record further on in the Torah that the uh, Passover meal was never to be eaten with leavened bread. That was, a, that was an instruction that you can find in, in Leviticus. But we see here that this was a different meal, that the unleavened cakes were made because they simply had to get up and leave. It was time to go. And they didn't have time to let the dough rise. But they weren't in their homes right now. They were actually in Sukkoth. Verse 40 to 42. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years on that very same day, it came to pass that all of the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Not because of the, the passing over and the redemption of the firstborn. This was a solemn night because the Lord brought them out of the land of Egypt. That is the night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. This night had significance too, both looking forward and looking back. Why? Not because they were redeemed, as we've just stated, by being protected from death, but because God brought them out of Egypt. That's why this night was significant and something they were to remember forever. So it had forward-looking significance. But it had forward-looking significance because it also had backward-looking significance. Because it fulfilled a promise made to their forefather Abraham over four centuries prior. Let's go to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. And you've... We've talked about this before, but with a week to go, it's, it's prudent to look at it again. Verse 12, we'll pick up the account of verse 12, initially here, verse 12 to 16, Genesis 15. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, a horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come up with great possessions. Read these details. Made several centuries, four hundred years in advance. And we just read what happened in Exodus 12. They will afflict them for four hundred years. And I will judge the, and the nation who they serve, the Egyptians, it turns out. I will judge. God will judge them. And he did so through the death of the firstborn. Afterward, after that judgment, the death of the firstborn, your descendants, Abram, will come out with great possessions. And they were just giving them stuff. We read that. They couldn't get them out of the land fast enough. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace meaning die. You shall be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God's promise to Abraham that the affliction of his descendants would be temporary, and he even provided specific timing. 
Now, we don't have time to delve too deeply into this section of Scripture. We've had messages that have covered that in the past. But I will draw your attention to a message that Pastor George Ramakon gave three weeks ago in London in the United Kingdom entitled Significance of the Day and Hour Jesus Was Crucified. He goes into detail about the timing of the events here in Genesis 14 and 15 and shows beyond doubt that there were two distinct evenings here with the placement of the clouds and the stars in the sky and and sun falling at two different times. There were clearly two different evenings here. Let's take a quick look at that. I invite you to go uh, watch that message. He goes into much more detail that I can go into here. But let's continue where we left off. We're going to start with evening number two to start. We're going to pick that up in verse 17 of Genesis 15. And it came to pass, verse 17, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those two pieces. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, you recall the, the birds were torn in two and God walked down the middle. We, we go back and and in watching, you can read the account yourself, the, the full chapters of chapter 14 and 15. But God in this covenant to, uh, with Abraham said, to your descendants, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This evening here is the one that is specifically referred to as the self-same day that Israel fled Egypt, even referencing back the 400 years. Now, Pastor Ramakon goes in and explains the 430 years. That's easily explainable through Scripture, and we certainly don't have time for that here. But the 15th day of the first month, according to Numbers 33, is this self-same day. God's unconditional covenant to release Abraham's descendants from bondage and give them land. That was the 15th day of the first month. We have it here, we have it in Exodus, and we have it in Numbers. The previous evening, and again, Pastor Ramakon leads us through that timing very, very well in that message called Significance of the Day and Hour that Jesus was Crucified. What we see here, let's go back to Genesis 14, and this is the previous evening, and we can see this when you go through. Verse 18 of chapter 14, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. The previous evening, Abraham ate bread and wine with Melchizedek, the high priest of God. Now, if the following evening is the 15th day of the first month, the previous evening, according to my calculations, and I'm not the smartest, but looks to be the 14th day of the first month. And Abraham ate bread and wine with Melchizedek. Now, when you go into Hebrews, and again, we don't have time to go there either today, chapters 6 and 7 goes into extreme detail about who Melchizedek was. So again, two very distinct evenings with very specific timing linked here in Exodus and in Numbers. So as we read these passages, please don't forget the many previous messages that you've heard here. 
Not the weekly Bibles. Don't forget the weekly Bible studies either, especially as we go through the book of Isaiah. These all work hand in hand with what these evenings picture. Here, what we're doing so far today is we're simply looking here at these two distinct evenings that very clearly when we come into the holy time next week, beginning on Friday evening, there's something very significant for us to keep when the 14th begins on Friday evening. It seems like Abraham and Melchizedek had bread and wine on that evening. That's what it seems like. Based off of the self-same day that happened the following evening that we read about and that Pastor Ramakan goes into in-depth detail showing that timing lines up perfectly, as we would expect it would, with God at the helm. So what does this mean for us with one week to go, less than one week to go? We've heard all about it over the last number of weeks. We de-leaven our homes. We read about that in Exodus. We read about it in Leviticus. Removing all leavened products before the beginning of the Feast of Leavened Bread. So that when the 15th comes, our homes have no leaven in them. Interestingly enough, this year, from a calendar perspective, is one of those rare years where the Feast of Leavened Bread begins on a Sunday and ends on a Sabbath. Therefore, that preparation day that we have is actually a Sabbath. So we need to be extra diligent, and we would be mindful to be extra diligent to ensure that our leavening is out before Passover, because in this case, we we have the Sabbath that precedes, the weekly Sabbath that precedes the first holy day, and no servile work can be done there either. So in this particular case, we actually have to bump it up a day and ensure that our homes are deleavened before Passover. We plan not just to deleaven our homes, but as we heard last week from Pastor Watson, to partake of unleavened bread every day. We read about that. We read about that as well in Leviticus when God enumerated his expectations for us during this holy time. So not only do we deleaven our homes in advance of these seven days, but we plan to partake of unleavened bread for seven days for very specific reasons and invite you to go back and hear his message called the bread of life that he gave here to us last Sabbath. In addition to preparing for the days of unleavened bread by deleavening our homes and preparing to have unleavened bread in stock, whether you make that yourself or you purchase matzos from your, your, your local grocery store. We also prepare for Passover by examining ourselves in relation to Jesus Christ and in relation to his body of believers. This was explained in depth by Pastor Adrian as he unpacked the meaning of that phrase in 1 Corinthians 11 about discerning the Lord's body. And again, if you missed those two messages, go back and listen to those again from uh, about four and three weeks ago, discerning the Lord's body. Then as we prepare in advance, we come into the Passover evening on Friday evening. Let's go to John 13. For those of you who are new, we'll take some time here to 
set the stage for what to expect and what we're looking at here. So we've got the deleavening of our homes. We've got the preparation to have unleavened bread in stock, which takes, which takes time to prepare, which takes planning. Then as we come into Friday evening, we see the example of Jesus Christ and the apostles washing each other's feet. This is all part of understanding and that in-depth concept that we heard about a few weeks ago called discerning the Lord's body. That comes out here in the washing of feet. We'll pick it up here in verse 10 of John 13. Now, we go back to verse 1. We see that the, the Passover was about to begin and supper. They had a meal, the supper being ended. The devil, verse 2, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Christ. Jesus, verse 3, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come uh, from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper they were eating and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself and then began to wash feet. And we know the story of Peter refusing Lord. He says, verse 6, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said, what I am doing, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. So it's a little bit confusing, but I will explain, Christ said. Peter says, you're not washing my feet. And I think many of us could probably relate to Peter. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, in typical Peter fashion, okay, well, don't stop at the feet. Wash my hands and my head. Wash, wash me all so that I can abide in you. Jesus said to him, verse 10, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So, when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And then he explains in a little bit further detail the importance of this, this rite or this, this, this task that we undertake at the beginning of the Passover service every year. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And we do that at the beginning of the Passover service every year where we wash, get down on our hands and knees and wash one another's feet. Then, and again, this will all be explained, I'm sure, in more detail on the Passover evening. But for those of you who are new, and just by way of reminder, Matthew 26, as we then partake of the changed symbols, when Christ changed the symbols to the bread and the wine. But interestingly enough, we have an example in Genesis 15 on that day, that's provable when you work backwards, of bread and wine being partake of between Abram and Melchizedek. But as you consider this, this washing of the feet that we, that we do every year, and understanding this concept of discerning the Lord's body, as we are told to do, by the Apostle Paul, by God, through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, discerning the Lord's body. Are you ready, and we have to ask ourselves this, are you ready to get on your knees and wash the feet of anyone in the Lord's body? 
Now this year, for those of you who, like us, will be take, partaking of the Passover at home, I'll be doing so with my family, and I, I know them well. But when we're amongst the body of Christ, we don't know who we're going to be paired up with. It could very well be someone that we may have had issues with in the past. Are you ready, and could you wash the feet of anyone in the body of Christ? That is part of the preparation in discerning the Lord's body. and Why it's such an important part of the service on this very special day that John saw fit to include when he wrote his gospel many decades after the other gospels had been written. And for whatever reason, wasn't covered then. But John, in his wisdom, guided by God, saw fit that, you know what, we, we missed this in the other gospel accounts as they went through the chronological gospels. We, we need to include this as an example because of the words of our, our Savior. And then we go to Matthew 26 and pick it up in verse 26. Following the foot washing on the first evening on Friday evening, we then partake as the baptized members, the members of the covenant, those who have committed to covenant with Jesus Christ through the, the, through baptism. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. Here the, the word new is added, but it's as we've heard explained by, by teachers like Vance Stinson and others, this is a renewed covenant. It's the same covenant that that uh, God made with Abraham, that he ratified through Moses and the children of Israel committed to. And we're, as Paul explains in Romans 11, we're grafted back into that same covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And this brings us back to that message by Deacon Jan several months ago about grace and how true grace is really God through the death of Jesus Christ, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, providing an opportunity for unforgivable sin to be forgiven. When you go back into the, the, the Torah, we saw that unintentional sin was, forgiv- was, was forgivable through the slaughter of animals. But intentional sin, there, wasn't, there was no forgiveness of intentional sin until Jesus Christ came, lived that perfect life, lived the covenant perfectly, and then provided this opportunity for intentional sin, which was un, theretofore unforgivable, to be forgiven. He continues in verse 29, I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Do we understand the importance of being grafted into, by virtue of our baptism, the same covenant God made with Abraham on that self-same day? All those years ago, when Abraham sat down with Melchizedek and then the following uh, 400 and some years later, when the children of Israel obeyed the commands of of God through Moses, killed the lamb, spread the blood on the, the mantle and were provided redemption. Do we understand the importance of having been grafted into that same covenant? Then, 1 Corinthians 5, where we heard read in the, the scripture reading, we come into the following day. 
when we gather for, for Sabbath services next Sabbath, following that as the sun sets, we will come into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Beginning with the night to be much observed, the meal that we share on day two, event number two, following sunset, as the 15th of the, of the first month begins. And we come into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We leave Passover aside. We've partaken of that. We've commemorated that. We've recommitted ourselves. We understand the, the gravity, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for his covenant people. And we've committed to that again this year. We then come into the process having deleavened our homes and prepared to ingest unleavened bread every day for seven days. We read in verse 6 to the Corinthian church, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven. And here we're talking not just physically, but spiritually. That you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. That was that was a separate event. He was sacrificed, past tense, he was sacrificed for us. Therefore, present tense, new event, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Having hopefully begun and finishing the process this week of becoming physically deleavened, are you spiritually deleavened? Are we spiritually deleavened? Do we understand the impact of sin in our life? When we read these verses here, we, we pull these out at this time of year and understanding that this letter, this first letter to the Corinthian church was written at this time of year. We see that laid out for us in chapter 10, chapter 11. But the context here begins back in verse 1 to the group. He says it is rep- actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. There's stuff going on within your group that even non-God-fearing people, good, good, decent people, wouldn't, wouldn't lay claim to doing. That a man has his father's wife. And you, and here was the concern, you are, as a congregation, you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he has done that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. That's the context. The impact of sin in their lives didn't have the effect that it should have had. They had become numb to it. Or they had they for whatever reason, it could have been favoritism, they could have liked the guy and were giving him a pass. Whatever it was, they had become puffed up. And when we read that word puffed up, that's that picture of that pride of leaven that has us focusing on ourselves as most important rather than what is important to God. And that's through what we see here as we come into the Feast of Lemon Bread. The need to deleaven ourselves is that, is that physical example of what we need to learn about the impact of pride. And we've heard uh, in the Wednesday Bible studies the impact of pride on the covenant people of God throughout history. And that's a lesson that we get here as we come into the Feast of Lemon Bread to remove leaven as a lesson for us to remove this pride from our lives and and ensure that we are following 
God to the proper level that we need to. And this context asks us the question, when we go back to verse 1 and 2, he, he asked the congregation, do you care about the health of the body of Christ? Do you even care about it? Or are you worried about yourselves, whether it's pride, whether it's the uncomfortability of addressing this situation? Does sin bother you or are you numb to its effects is what they're being asked. Is it all about you, pride and leaven, or what you, or what you can positively contribute to the body? As, it, as, as this time of year pictures, the, as we look forward to, over the course of the following 50 days, the receipt of the Holy Spirit, which then enables us to transform our talents into gifts being led by the Holy Spirit. Previously, talents that were about, about um, serving the self and serving our own pride and vanity and actually using these talents through the power of the Holy Spirit to impact the lives of others to be part of the body of Christ and, and, and follow the, the instructions that we see in Ephesians 4, where every, part, every body part does its fair share. That's what we're coming into. So when we look back, we look backwards into Genesis, into Exodus, into Numbers, we see these two nights that we gather are very significant, but they're very distinct. They have different, they, they are meant for different reasons. They happen on different days for different reasons and they have, they have specific lessons that we, that we learn from that we then look forward into the, 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 the lessons that we learn when Christ came and he fulfilled all of these things and showed us how to live properly. There's plenty to consider here if you haven't already done so over the next, well, less than seven days now. Today's day seven, the Passover's on the 14th, but we're almost at the end of day seven of the month, and the Passover is at the start of the 14th. So pretty much six days to go before we keep the Passover. Got one more thing for your consideration before we close today. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 1. We're here in 1 Corinthians. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 1. Read a couple of, read a, a couple of sentences here. As we finalize our preparation for this time of year. First Corinthians one, Paul, verse one, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who are in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. He introduces this letter to the church of God. One of those, those single, uh, single nouns that contain many parts. The church of God. Let's go forward to 2 Corinthians 1. We've covered, leading to something that we heard about, talked about a few weeks ago. We read the second letter to Corinth. Similarly, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth with all the saints who are in Acacia. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father, Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, I mentioned Pastor Adrian gave a two-part message on discerning the Lord's body. In it, he came to a logical and clear conclusion of the significance of understanding our place in the body of Christ. Begins with understanding our place in the narrative, 
and an understanding that we are part of the New Testament church, which was grafted into the same covenant that God made with Israel. We read that in Romans 11. He came to that logical and clear conclusion that we need to understand our place in the body of Christ. And as much, again, as it is important for us to know where we are in the narrative, like I mentioned, we also know where we are in the body. And we do not define our place in the body. But God places us where he sees fit, where we can, tr- can contribute the, in the, the most impactful way. And others define that by virtue of where they are blessed by our service. So when we are trying to determine where our gifts are, it's not our place, as we heard, and very adeptly walked through for us in those two messages. It's not our place to determine what our gifts are, where we like to contribute, where I want to be this. But the body determines where we are gifted by virtue of how they are blessed by what we do. An outward-focused view of the body means that we dedicate ourselves in service to it when we become part of that covenant, the covenant people. So we become baptized We receive the Holy Spirit. We then become a dedicated contributor to the body of Christ, guided by the Holy Spirit, where each part does its share towards the overall health of the whole. This requires that we do all we can to be an active part of the congregation, supporting each other, as we heard. This is all part of discerning the Lord's body. In support of that, we know, we noted how both of these letters began, that it was to the group as a whole, to the church in Corinth, in both cases. Much like how Paul similarly begins his letter to the Philippians. But unlike, unlike how he begins his letters to Galatia and Colossae, where he addresses it specifically to the saints, to individuals, to that plural word saints. Here, in Corinth, the two letters in Corinth and in, in Philippi, was to the group as a whole. And we heard and talked about the impact of that from a congregational perspective, that we are part of a greater whole. Let's go for your consideration as we conclude to Second Corinthians 13, something that struck me in a discussion I was having. And I'd like to throw this out there for your consideration. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. And we can also go back into 1 Corinthians 11 that talks about the examining of ourselves. That was covered in depth in those messages. So we'll just look here in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. When we examine ourselves each year in preparation for the Passover, could this verse also mean examining ourselves congregationally? Verse 1 of the chapter, chapter 13, indicates that Paul is speaking to them as a group. This will be the third time, he says, that I am coming to you. By the word, uh, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time 
And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare. So he's walking through this as a group. And my question is this, my, my thought process is this for your consideration. How healthy is the body of Christ, the, the portion, the congregation of the body of Christ that you are a part of? Is it healthy enough to examine each other in areas that require improvement? How about you as an individual? Are you close enough to members in that body? Now, it doesn't, certainly doesn't have to be everybody. But are you close enough to individuals in the body that you could hear not just where you bless someone with your gifts, but where you may need some assistance in identifying a weak spot? How close are you in the body of Christ to allowing the body to examine you, to know whether you are in the faith? That's food for thought. If the balance of this, these, these, these letters, we look at congregationally and how we can understand where we are gifted through our impact on the congregation. Could we also understand where we are weak with the help of others? Now, I don't mean publicly like we might with someone's gifts and certainly don't mean that this is a time for me to air grievances that I have with everybody. Oh, this is, this is permission for me to go and tell everybody where they upset me. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about me coming to you and asking you where I can be better. Not you volunteering where I can be better, but me coming to you and having you examine me where I can be better. Now, again, this is not something we can do with everyone, but much like Christ had his 12 and then had his three and then had John. Could this be a way for us to fulfill this scripture and examine ourselves as part of the greater body. Food for thought. Food for thought. Do you value your place in the body that you could open yourself up to guidance from a trusted brother or sister? This takes trust, takes time, and takes a very well-grounded relationship. But if we're about real growth, food for thought in future years of examination, food for thought. I'm I'm curious what your thoughts are. Be open to your thoughts. When you gather next week to keep the Passover and then ring in the Feast of Unleavened Bread with the night to be much observed, know that these are two very distinct evenings with purpose each of them with reason and meaning and purpose. Whatever your understanding currently is about timing, about the meaning of certain words, just know that God is not the author of discord, but of peace and harmony in the churches of the saints. As baptized people grafted into the covenant that God made with Abraham and ratified with Israel, The significance of these days is fulfilled, that is, is made fuller by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. The reminder of redemption that we commemorate at Passover is similar to that of our forefathers, but it is made fuller 
deeper and richer in meaning now that we understand Jesus Christ. The reminder that God brought us out of this world expects us to leave it completely behind and has written his law on our hearts due to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us is similar to the annual reminder God gave our forefathers. But it also is made fuller, deeper, and richer in meaning now that we understand Jesus Christ. We have less than a week left. Are you ready to commemorate the Passover and to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in all sincerity and truth? May yours be all it needs to be. Wow, thank you so much, Pastor Murray. What a, what a perfect message. What a perfect timing of the message and what a clear, precise, specific, you know, message rightly dividing the words of God and just help us to understand how actually God is not the author of confusion and his written word is actually much, much simpler than sometimes we under, we, we actually understand. So thank you so much, Pastor Murray, for your hard work. It was a delight to listen to this message today. And I, just like you said, hopefully through the short period of time, all of us will get ready for this awesome Passover observance. So now, brother and Jess, we'll, we'll just do closing prayer. And right after my closing prayer, we do the last closing hymn on page 253 at Calvary. So let's just bow your heads in respect. And loving Father, great God, God Almighty, what an awesome God you are. And through your scripture, it is just so easy to understand, Father, that you are always in control. No matter what is happening around us, whether it be Egyptian slavery, whether it be a pandemic that is around us, that sometimes we get so low, so discouraged, that we think there is no way out of all of these things. You always provide a way of escape. Father, thank you for this message that we heard today. What a loving, distinct time that is ahead of us. If any holiday, Father, pointing to your faithfulness would be the time of Passover, and the days of unleavened bread. Father, you're always faithful to your words. You're always faithful to the covenant. And because of that, we can have this assurance that you always be with us and provide a way to escape. So thank you so much, Father, for all that we heard today. Father, I hope and pray that this message will blast our listeners whether today who are listening live or whether the ones who live a little bit later in the in our archives. And Father, it's such a short period of time. I hope and I pray, Father, that you will help us. Help us not just physically, but mentally and especially spiritually prepare ourselves for this wonderful, awesome time, the time of Passover that is ahead of us. So, Father, thank you so much for everything, for all the blessings, and especially, Father, how can we not thank you for such a wonderful plan of salvation that you have installed of us? And how can we not thank you, Father, for providing 
forgiving us, your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, in his holy name, we bless you and we thank you. Amen.